in the uh, classic children's story of the tortoise and the hare, you remember that? Tortoise and the hare, the turtle and the rabbit. We would understand it better. And you remember they were in a race, and you remember who won? The tortoise. Why'd he win? Because even though he didn't have speed, he kept going forward. He kept going forward. And he won. And I can tell you, you don't have to be immensely gifted or talented or any of that. To just go forward and persevere, you'll win. We're to go forward. And we've been talking about that for about four weeks until last week. And my thanks to Pastor Sonny and Pastor Corey Smithy for subbing for me. They did a great job. But we've been talking about the, the power of going forward. That forward is faith's favorite direction. There was no retreat door or exit door at the Alamo. They went forward. They fought to the end. There's no exit door in God's kingdom. We're to go forward. And so I want to read uh, one verse that we've been reading pretty much every time in this series that I'm closing out today, Power of Forward. And I'm just going to give you today three steps forward. But let's read Exodus 14, verse 15. Now you remember the context. The children of Israel are at the Red Sea. That's in front of them. Behind them is Pharaoh's army, and they are not in a good mood. Coming up behind them. So they're between a rock and a hard place. There is no out. There is no answer in the natural. In the natural, they're toast. But they had a God, amen. You know you need a miracle when there's no way out but God. And so God told Moses to tell the people these words. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to retreat. Oh, I'm sorry. Tell the people of Israel to freak out. Oh, I'm, I'm reading it wrong. What does it say? Tell the people of Israel. Say it with me. The NIV, I like this. Tell the Israelites to move on. The NLT, I like it even better. Tell the people to get moving. Get moving. So watch this now. Uh, go forward. Move on. Get moving. That's God's word to us as a church, as individuals, and corporately. We're to move on. Father, thank you for the power of forward. That faith goes forward. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help us today as we close this out to be people that are not settling for, that are not camped in one place and won't move on, but are growing, advancing, moving, going on, moving on, going forward, growing in grace. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, move forward. Amen. Now, at the end of this message, we're going to have a baby dedication. So those of you that have babies in here to dedicate, hang on to them for dear life.
because we're going to be done in just a few minutes. Amen? Now, in life, I've noticed this, and I see it all through the Bible. You and I can go backward. We can sit still. We can kind of aimlessly coast along and take life as it comes. Or we can purposely move forward. That's four kinds of people. That's four kinds of people. If you go backward, let me promise you what you're going to find. Nothing. There's nothing back there. There's nothing back there in the world that God delivered you from. So if you go backward, you're going to wind up empty. If you're sitting still, you're only existing. You're just sitting there, sitting, soaking, and souring. Then you're not living. You're existing. You're just existing. If you're coasting through life, you have no compelling purpose. Because people with purpose don't coast. They move forward. Amen? Amen. But if you're moving forward in spiritual growth, in faith, in serving Christ, in your pursuit of Him on a daily basis, you're living the way God intends. Growing in grace, growing into the fullness of the stature of Christ, moving onward, forward, upward, always advancing. That's how God always saw his people in the Old Testament and in the New. People growing, never settling. Listen to how Paul describes his life. He said, I strain, I stretch, I reach forward to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven. Paul said, you want to know the way I live my life? Every day I get up reaching. I get up advancing. I get up straining ahead. I get up with my eye on what God has for me next, the next level, the next step, the next victory, the next achievement in grace. That's me. And, And then he says, therefore, let all of us who are mature Think this way. He said, if you're a mature Christian, this is the way you're going to think. You're going to think, reaching, straining, grasping, extending your faith, going for the next level. You're never going to stop. You never arrive until you go to heaven. Now, if you track Jesus' steps in the gospel, look at the red ink. Read the red. And track Jesus' steps in the Gospels. And you'll see that Jesus was always moving forward, onward, upward, advancing, always. So if you hooked up with him like the disciples did and followed him around, that's the way you lived. Jesus told people the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why? Because I'm not anywhere long enough to stay. I'm always moving on. Mark 138, Jesus told his disciples, listen to this, we must go on. We must go on to the other villages around here. I have to preach in them also because that's why I came. We have to move on. We have to move on. We must go on our forward words. We must go on. Are you in the same place with God today that you were last year at this time? Or have you moved on? Have you grown? Is your face stronger? Is there better love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, self-control? Have we grown in grace? Are we further along? 
We must go on. We must go on. We must go on. Hebrews says, now we need to go forward to maturity. Hebrews 6.1. We must go forward. Now, I want to get real practical today. I never do a series like this that I don't want to be sure. I, I bring it down to our level and say, okay, I've told you about going forward for three weeks. How do I go forward? How do I do it? Give me some practical ways I can actually grow forward. How do you do it? Well, I'm going to give you three characteristics of any person who's moving forward. Here they are. A defining moment decision to follow Jesus. You'll never find anybody growing in grace, moving on in God, growing in Him into the likeness of Christ, never without that they had a defining moment decision to follow Christ with everything. A decision. Second, a commitment to self-discipline. Uh-oh, there's that word. We don't like the word discipline. Ten-letter word. We don't like it. And I know you're already thinking, great, here I am, and i got to listen to something about discipline. Let me tell you something. Your greatest dreams are beyond you being disciplined. And me too. And, and then the third thing, a willingness to be inconvenienced. A willingness to be inconvenienced. You may not have thought about that, but do you know how hard it is for God to get some people to flex and flow with him because they don't want to be inconvenienced? But anybody moving on quickly learns, if I'm going to follow Jesus, i got to be willing to have my stuff messed with. My routine and my schedule altered and changed. i got to be willing to flex and flow with the Savior who's always moving on. Amen? Now let me talk to you about the first one. A moment of decision. A moment of decision. A a person moving forward in the things of God invariably has experienced a pivotal, life-changing moment of decision where they said, I'm going on with him. I'm going to follow Jesus. We used to sing a song in the 70s. I'm dating myself here, but it's the truth in the 70s. And it went like this. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. And then we did this. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen? And I'll tell you that anybody moving forward in the things of God, growing in God, whose life is counting for God, they've had a moment of decision where they said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, though none go with me, the world behind me, see you later, toodaloo, I'm following Jesus. It happens like this. You're going along in life, just rolling with the punches, and all of a sudden you're confronted with the claims of Christ. It comes your way. Some of you haven't heard the claims of Christ in a while. Maybe never. Listen carefully. You're going through life, and suddenly you're confronted with the claims and the call of Christ. 
And he says, follow me. Follow me. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Um, put my kingdom first. Put me first. And you last. Follow me. And we consider the claim. We ponder the claims. And we decide, concluding that he's the pearl of great price. And he's the treasure hidden in a field that is worth me selling everything and buying the field so I can get that treasure. There is nothing more valuable than Jesus Christ and following him. Nothing. So you decide. I'm not just going to be a pew-warming, Sunday morning Christian who the rest of the week lives like the world, but on Sunday I show up in church and punch the clock and put in my time. No, Monday through Saturday, I'm going to follow him, and Sunday's the gravy on top. I'm just going to follow Jesus every day. Every day. I've never known anybody whose life amounted to anything for God that didn't experience this decisive moment to go forward with Christ. Go forward with Christ. The truth is, folks, decision is so powerful. You got up this morning, you decided to come to church. God bless you. You thought it was going to be nice out. You walked outside and got blasted. You came anyway. You, you got dressed. You made the decision to come to the house of God. And it was a quality decision. But it was, you're here because of a decision. You made a decision. Listen, decision determines destiny. That's the importance of decision. That's what God gave human beings. He didn't give anything else. We can assess a situation. We can look at options and make a choice. And decision determines your destiny. That's the power of decision. Life is comprised of an endless series of decisions, major and minor. Every day we make decisions from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed that night. Our whole life is comprised of decision making. All of us sitting here today, we are the sum total and the byproduct of all the decisions we have made up to now. Not only where you are, but who you are is a result of decision-making. One decision can set the trajectory of your life, the rest of your life, and all of eternity. And I call those top-tier decisions. The most important decision of all is where you're going to spend eternity. There is no greater one. Greater than who you're going to marry, where you're going to school, what your career is going to be, where you're going to live, what you're going to drive, what you're going to wear, how much money you're going to make. The greatest decision you and I will ever make is where we're going to spend eternity. What did we do with Jesus? That's the most important one. There's not a more important one. That one is the fork in the road that decides the rest of your life and all of eternity. Where you spend eternity hangs on that decision. Have you thought about that? The lifestyle you decide to embrace is not foisted on you by how you were raised. You're not a victim. 
I'm going to say that again, you're not a victim. You don't have to live any way that you don't decide to. Even though people did you dirty and did you wrong, you don't have to give them the reins of the rest of your life. They don't have to control the rest of your life. Whether or not your life is going to please God and whether or not you go forward with Jesus, it's all a matter of decision. One man wrote this, I love this. Decision is a sharp knife that cuts clean and straight. While indecision is a dull knife that hacks and tears and leaves ragged edges behind. One good, solid decision for Christ cuts like a sharp knife. But if you're in between, well, maybe so, maybe not. I'm in, I'm out, I'm there, I'm gone. When you see that dead squirrel in the middle of the road, you're looking at a squirrel that could not make up his mind. You you ever seen them? They go this way, they go that way, they go this way, boom. And there's a lot of people in the middle of the road of life. I'm going this way, I'm going that way, and and then boom. Amen. I believe God gave us his word so that we can live decisive lives. Listen to James. He said a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. In other words, James is saying, make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? Jesus taught... Nobody can serve two masters, so make up your mind. Paul wrote, to be carnally minded, it's death, but to be spiritually minded, it's life and peace, so make up your mind. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me, make up your mind. Joshua told the people of Israel, choose today whom you will serve, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He made up his mind. Amen. Amen. Show me a person that has fully decided to serve the Lord, and I'll show you somebody that's moving forward. So let me tell you, my whole life changed when I fully, completely decided to take his yoke upon me and learn of him and walk with him and do what he wanted me to do. My whole life changed. Now, a second characteristic of a moving forward person is a resolve of self-discipline. Here we go. Let's dive into self-discipline. Let's talk about it. Many people, lots of people, most people here have dreams, aspirations, wishes, goals, desires. But guess what? Without self-discipline, most of them are going to remain in the graveyard, marked, unfulfilled through lack of discipline. I wanted it, but I didn't bring my life into discipline to get it. The bottom line is, how bad do you want what you want? How how bad do you want God's will? How bad do you want to hear the words at the end of your race, well done, good and faithful servant? How bad do you want to fulfill the reason for which he made you? How bad? Because whatever you want, It's going to take discipline to get it nine times out of ten. It's going to take discipline to get it. Can I tell you what the problem is? And it's my problem. The greatest problem is not the devil. My greatest battle is not with other people. It's with the person looking back at me in the mirror. (laughs) That's my greatest battle. That's who I have the greatest battle with. 
Me, I'm the one that's gotten me in most of my trouble. Come on, everybody, get that halo off your head. Because our selfish selves don't want to serve God. We don't want to. We want to serve ourselves, our own desires, wishes, wants, longings, hungers, and our own will. We want to serve ourselves. It's all about you, don't you know? We're told that in our culture. Everything is about the self. Selfies. Self-magazine. Self-this. Self-actualization. Self-this, that, and the other. But that's not what it's about. It's about Him. Paul the Apostle confessed, It is my own body I fight to make it do what I want. My own body. How many of you had a battle with your body already today? The, the, the alarm went off and you said it can't be that time to go to church. And you had a battle with your body. You had a debate with your body. Am I going to actually get up and go? Or am I going to yield to what my body's telling me to do? Let me tell you God's will for you and me. We are never to be told what to do by our body. We're to tell our bodies what to do. We're not to be ruled by time. We're to make time serve us. My own body fights me every day when I'm in that restaurant line. And I've told myself before going to that restaurant, I know the desserts they have there. I remember what was there. Those super duper triple quadruple chocolate cakes with whipped cream and a cherry on top and ice cream on the side. And you see it's 3,500 calories. You say, so when I go in there, that thing doesn't exist for me. But then you get in the line and, and then you order. And then when you're done with your meal, they put that dessert stuff where you cannot not see it. It's spinning. It's lit up. It's right in front of you. And you, you have a strange ability to hear God at that time. You hear a voice say, go ahead. You deserve a break today. You'll ride it off. You'll walk it off. Go ahead. God understands all good things come from above. And you eat it. And you lost the battle with your body. It's that way with all of life. Listen to Paul. The trouble is with me. I'm all too human. I don't really understand myself. I, don't want, I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And I eat that cake, whatever the cake is. There's an answer in the next chapter. Here it is. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Y'all catch that? Can we read it together? If by the Spirit. Come on, everybody. You put to, how do I put my body down and get victory over my body? By the Spirit. You put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. So here's what he's telling us. The Holy Ghost in you and me is there to bring self-discipline. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So he wants to create in us. How many of you have ever had a bad habit? Well, the rest of you got a bad habit of lying? <laughs> All right, 
Do you remember if you ever smoked? I'll just give you an example. If you ever smoked, remember the first time you took a hit off that cigarette? It felt like a lead anvil was dropped down into your lungs and you choked and you sputtered and you coughed, but you persevered. <laughs> Until finally that smoking became a habit that you loved, but it was a bad habit, killing you. Okay, bad habits. But in the same way, there's holy habits. There's good habits. And the Holy Spirit, your flesh got you into the bad habits, but the Holy Spirit wants to bring you under discipline so that you can develop good habits or what I call holy habits because they lead to holiness. Attending church. Reading the Bible. Praying. Things that you get into the habit of doing. Can I tell you, I've been reading the Bible so long in the mornings now, I'm being honest with you. i got to have my fix. And it's the Word of God. And I don't have to smoke something, snort something, drink something, chew something, shoot something. No, it's, 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 it's a good, holy habit. And it leads to holy living. And the Holy Ghost had to bring my life into discipline until I developed that habit. Are you hearing me today? So, so, so you say, well, man, I got a bunch of bad habits. Well, just replace them. Same way you got a bad one, you get a good one. How do you do it? It takes three weeks to develop a habit. You get into the Word of God in the morning for three weeks, it'll become a habit. You'll have to have your fix. Amen. Everybody say holy habits. So the Holy Ghost has been given to us. One of His ministries inside of us is to bring self-discipline we develop a holy habit. I love what Paul said. He said, I don't know about you. This is the message Bible, but it's great. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everybody else about the gospel, and then missing out on the benefits myself. My all-time favorite coach, the late, great Tom Landry of the Dallas Cowboys. Great coach, Christian coach. He said this about discipline. To have a disciplined life, to live a disciplined life, and to accept the result of that discipline as the will of God is the mark of a man. Now, since he was only talking about men, I'll change it this way, to live a disciplined life and to accept the result of that discipline as the will of God, that is the mark of a mature Christian. Amen. So everybody say discipline. Leads to holy habits, which leads to a blessed life. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. And then the last one, this one's fun, a willing to be inconvenienced. A, a willingness to be inconvenienced. What are you talking about, Jeff? Oh, listen, God interrupts your comfort zone all the time. See, some of you, you're in a routine that is sacred. You've got a schedule that is uninterruptible. Nobody messes with your schedule, with your routine. You get up, you do this, you do that. Same thing you did 20 years ago, you do now. You've got everything in line, like a sergeant in the army. 
Nobody messes with your schedule, but God can and God will if you're moving on, if you're moving forward. We don't want to be inconvenienced out of our lazy boy recliners. There's some of you, it takes a miracle to get the channel changer out of your hand. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time God successfully inconvenienced you to do his will? And I'm asking myself this. Why does it matter? Let me tell you a secret. This is a truth. Never forget it. A move of God often waits on the other side of being inconvenienced. It does. Can God inconvenience you to witness to somebody? Can he inconvenience you to, to, welcome, to invite somebody to come to church with you? Can he inconvenience you to serve in the church? Can he inconvenience you and me to lay down, to get out of our comfort zone and, and maybe go witness on the streets with Charles, Amy, and the street ministry we've got or the prison ministry with Ryan? Can God inconvenience you and me? Are we so stuck in our ways that we say, no, Lord, go, go find somebody else? I'll give you an example of how this happens. Once he, I'm reading now the Bible, once he, Jesus, was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. Now, the boats were owned by Peter and Andrew. The fishermen had just left them, and they were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat. Jesus just got into Simon's boat, just stepped into it. You say, how did he do that? Because he could. Because he's Lord. And he just got into the boat. And he asked Simon, push out a little bit into the water. And he used the boat for a pulpit and taught the crowd. When he told Simon, push out, everybody say with me, first inconvenience. Because they had been fishing all night and caught nothing. Now, I don't know if you've ever fished. I have fished a lot, especially when I was living in East Texas. And it was terrible to go out all night long fishing and get totally skunked. What'd you catch? Not even a minnow. Not even a little perch. There was nothing there. I wasted the whole night. These guys, Peter and Andrew, were exhausted. They were weary. They were discouraged. And Jesus said, I know you want to go home and sleep, but push out. There's kingdom work to be done. And so Peter pushed out, and he's sitting in the boat. He's got a ringside seat to hear the greatest teacher in the history of the universe teach the crowd. And he's watching like a hawk. Now, when Jesus finished teaching, Simon thought, hallelujah, now we can go back and I can go home and get some sleep. But it says, Jesus turned to him and said, Simon, we're not done yet. Push out into the deep. And let your nets down. Everybody say, second inconvenience. I can hear Peter, you got to be kidding me. So he says to the Lord, he says, maybe you don't know. We didn't catch anything. They're not biting, Lord. Take it from me. I'm a lifelong fisherman. They're not biting. He didn't know who he was talking to. He didn't know who he was talking to. And so Simon said, Lord, we've been fishing hard all night, and we haven't even caught a minnow. Now I want you to notice, he's protesting being inconvenienced. 
You're inconveniencing me, Lord. This is a... Ha now, what if Peter, at this point, had said, you know, Lord, I just don't want the hassle right now. Eh, I'm too tired. Maybe another day. And he had gone to the house. We never know Peter's name. Listen to me. We never know Peter's name. Why? Because when he allowed himself to be inconvenienced, he stepped onto the pages of history. It says, Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. Everybody say, at your word. I don't feel like it, Lord, but at your word. I'm tired, but Lord, at your word. Lord, I got skunked all night, but at your word. Lord, it doesn't make sense to me, but at your word. I will go, and I will do it. And it says, it was no sooner said than done that they caught such a huge haul of fish. The nets were breaking, and they had to call from help, for help from their brethren who were in other little boats around and saw this miracle taking place in front of their eyes. The greatest catch of a life, a net-breaking boat-sinking load. It happened on the other side of being inconvenienced. Amen. And it was, and I'm, I'm closing with this, but it was the, this was the defining moment, event, that set the trajectory for the rest of Peter's life because it says he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others who were with him. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Everything. It was the miracle on the other side of being inconvenienced that convinced him, this is no normal man. I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. Can you be inconvenienced? Can I be inconvenienced? He'll, he'll interrupt your party. He'll interrupt your routine. He'll, he'll interrupt your best laid plans. Can the Lord inconvenience you and me? Can he inconvenience our church? Can, can he move on us when we don't feel like it? We say, at your word, I'll do it no matter how I feel. Will we serve in the church? Will we get involved, make our gift count? Will we come out of the woodwork, off the bleachers, and onto the field? Can he inconvenience us? Can he inconvenience me? I like to say yes. I hope yes. I believe yes. He can't even blast some Christians out of bed. Jesus rose from the dead. Some believers can't even get out of bed to come to church or to pray or to witness or to serve. They just can't be inconvenienced. I married a wife. I cannot come. I bought some cattle. I cannot come. I bought some new land. I cannot come. I can't be inconvenienced right now, Lord. A miracle. Let me ask, and I close with this question. What answer to prayer? What new horizon? Or fresh touch? Or new thing from God might you and I experience on the other side of decision and discipline and inconvenience? Can we stand together today?
How many of you this week got inconvenienced by something? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I was at Albertsons. Oh, my. We guys, Cindy needed me to go, and I went. I don't know where anything is. I'm like a lost sheep of the house of Israel. <laughs> I look for <coughs> women or guys, but usually the women who look like they know where they're going and where things might be. I said, excuse me, I don't mean to bother you, but can you tell me? Anyway, I'm pulling up to the checkout counter. And I remember one thing. There was nobody there. I thought, oh, wow, they're not busy. There was one thing I forgot. So I dashed to the aisle and came right back. And in front of me is a woman who deserves a reward for stacking the most possible stuff in her cart that could ever be put into a cart. You could not put, have put a pack of gum in her cart. It was overflowing, and I was so inconvenienced. I looked, are there any other checkout places where the light's on? Nope, this is it. I said, well, praise the Lord. I wasn't feeling real pastoral <laughs> and real spiritual. I was kicking myself. I, I didn't need that one last thing. I should have just gone through. And then when she gets done and it's all counted, she can't find her card. I'm going, oh my, help me, Jesus. I believe in the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. I'm here for a reason. Hallelujah. I didn't like being inconvenienced. But on the other side of inconvenience, miracles happen. If you let him. Amen. So how many of you as a church can say with me, I'm willing for God to inconvenience me in 2023 to see the glory of God happen, to see the glory of God happen. So let's lift our hands to him. And if there's anything in your life he's been tapping you to do and you procrastinated, can you just say right now, Lord, help me to respond today, to respond today, to discipline myself today, to decide today like a sharp knife, I'm going to decide to go for it. Father, in Jesus' name, look at Turning Point Church. Lord, we're in a nation that is sick and troubled and dying and going down the drain. And Lord, there needs to be churches full of light, full of life, full of power, full of the message of Christ. So we ask you, Lord, help us to say, here am I, send me and to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced, whatever it takes. Can you say with me, Lord, today, I give you my time, my schedule, my routine. I pray, help me to decide and to discipline my life and to flow with you, even if it's inconvenient. Help our church and me as an individual to count for God this year. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.